DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We continue our discussion on the life and teachings of St. Catherine of Siena. Pope Benedict would actually refer to her as a spiritual mama. Those <laughs> yes. There is something very maternal about her teachings in that she didn't just stand on a corner and preach. She lived it. She reminds me, in, in some ways, Matthew, of Mother Teresa, in that she exemplified the love of Christ and how to live out that Christian message by actually entering into suffering, not only her own physical suffering, but in the suffering of others. Yes, yes. Pope Benedict, in, in his discussions about uh, Catherine, talks about the fact that her spirituality was linked very powerfully to the gift of tears, as he puts it. He, he said it in, in the way that he said that they express an exquisite, profound sensitivity, a capacity for being moved and for tenderness. He said, many saints have had the gift of tears, renewing the emotion of Jesus himself, who did not hold back or hide his tears at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and at the grief of Mary and Martha at the site of Jerusalem during his last days on earth. But according to Catherine, he said, the tears of saints are mingled with the blood of Christ, of which she spoke in vibrant tones and with symbolic images that were very effective. And then, then he actually quotes her from one of her letters that, remember Christ crucified God and man, make your aim the crucified Christ, hide in the wounds of the crucified Christ, and drown in the blood of the crucified Christ. So for Catherine, uh, her letters, this gives us a little just a small snippet of the, how vivid, how colorful, but also how profound her letters were. And, and what do we find? Her letters were never about her. Her letters were always imploring, asking uh, for the recipient uh, to live as Christ calls them to live. And those letters went from very humble people all the way to the Pope, all the way to entire republics. I mean, this is somebody who was, uh, unsuccessfully as it was, at one point brought in to try to heal and end wars. She went to Avignon, where the popes were, and we're going to talk more about that in a, in a second, I know, uh, to try to end actual conflicts. The respect, as I said, the esteem that she was held in by everyone from the, the, the heads of republics all the way to the pope. She had... It's incredible ability to be able to listen to the human heart because she listens so deeply to the heart of Christ. And that was fostered because of her time and her 
commitment to prayer. And we see this throughout with all the doctors of the church. They were fostered initially in a tense period of deep prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And she was always, I think, very much aware of the temptation, the the risk of engaging in so many different fields of and activities that she could lose sight of what was really important. Uh, and that, of course, uh, her intense focus on Christ. Uh, and there's this risk of pride that here was a young woman being used by the Republic of Florence to try to negotiate with the Pope. Anyone else might have thought, well, I, I wonder what's going to come next. And she stood firm in, in trying to bring peace. When that failed, what did she do? She, she wrote a powerful letter to the Florentines condemning their unwillingness to, to have peace. But more than that, she understood that her participation in that was not going to lead to titles and power. And, and that was the last thing she wanted. She was always grounded in her practical spirituality. Uh, now, when I say practical spirituality, I, I don't in any way mean to underplay um, the development of her spiritual life, quite the opposite. But she never lost sight of the practical day-to-day -day aspects of prayer, of perfecting the virtues, of the sacraments, above all the Eucharist, and, and of course, penance. She never lost sight of what she needed to do to remain grounded in that spiritual life and never lost sight of that ring that was on her hand. We see that in her letters. And of course, we see that in uh, the dialogue. I think it's it, you know important that we do talk about those events that so many people are familiar. If they know anything about Catherine of Siena, they know of that time in Avignon. Yeah. But before we go there, I think we really need to talk about the, the thing that made her the doctor of the church. And it, it is in those mystical, incredible writings that she gives such solid, as you said, practical instruction. And you mentioned one of those, not just the letters, but the dialogues. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, uh, with Catherine, uh, we have a great saint. We have also a spiritual giant. Uh, we have someone who wanted to be able to articulate uh, her journey. And the result of this was uh, something that she dictated in elegant, beautiful Italian. Uh, it's noted, for example, the, the Tuscan idiom that, interestingly enough, you can still hear in Siena is found in this book. So not only is this a beautiful spiritual guide, but this is also a, an exquisite production of 14th century Italian literature. That's significant because with, with Catherine, we are looking at a genuine intellect. Uh, we are looking at somebody who influenced her age spiritually, politically, but also 
uh, for somebody, again, who really struggled to read and write, somebody who influenced the very language of her age. And that's saying something, considering that Tuscany was the birthplace, for example, of Petrarch and Boccaccio, two of the people who we hold up uh, as some of the, the, the fathers, the patrons of the modern Italian language. Mm-hmm. So having noted that, her desire was very simple in uh, the dialogue. Uh, and that was to offer to everyone a clear, practical guide to the spiritual life. And how does she open the book? Well, she, she starts it basically by saying that the soul who is lifted by a very great and yearning desire for the honor of God and the salvation of souls begins by exercising itself for a certain space of time in the ordinary virtues, remaining in the cell of self-knowledge in order to know all the better the goodness of God towards it. Very, very simple start. And what do we see in, the, in this in the dialogue? We have four basic parts. We have a treatise of divine providence, a treatise of discretion, a treatise of prayer, and a treatise of obedience. Laid out right there, uh, chapter after chapter, in very straightforward but elegant, eloquent prose, is how to advance in the spiritual life. Anyone can read this book, as long as you have a decent translation and you also have uh, a a real desire uh, to follow her path, but also to live the Christian life faithfully. This is a practical guide, and that has to be stressed again, because she's trying to impart, uh, as the great saints have done, that the spiritual heights are for everyone. Holiness, sanctity is for everyone because God wants all of us to be saints. And so she lays out in very straightforward ways how to achieve that. Now, that's wonderful, but that does not discount in any way the sheer amount of work, uh, of dedication, of love, above all, uh, that has to go into the spiritual life. And Catherine doesn't discount that. In fact, she makes that one of the centerpieces of this, that, that you must have love here. But there's always the way ahead. And, and of course, the, the, the classic image coming out of the dialogue is the bridge. Mm. Uh, she describes it, the bridge of my word, uh, where she has those three steps of lifting the feet from the affections of the earth, stripping away vice, uh, filling oneself with love and virtue, and finally, tasting peace. It is an extraordinary work. It's one of those great tomes that gives us a window into the beauty of obedience. You know, oftentimes we think of obedience as something almost like a manacle type of thing that would that would trap us or hold us back. And yet when you read the dialogues in the obedience to the will of the Father, like the obedience of the will of the Father to the Son, demonstrated and brought to us. It, that's the thing about Catherine. It, it's just every single page is a, is a jewel if you're willing to enter into it. Yes, yeah. And every single page describes Christ. 
Christ lifts out of the, the pages of the dialogue, and he is the bridge between heaven and earth. And as, as Pope Benedict describes so wonderfully in, in his uh, teaching on Catherine, this bridge, he says, consists of three great stairways constituted by the feet, the side, and the mouth of Jesus. And then, of course, he points out that the the stairway through these stairways, the soul passes through those three stages we were just talking about. But we need that's worth reiterating detachment from sin as, as a starting point for advancement in the spiritual life. You, you cannot, and this is where this whole idea of I'm spiritual but not religious that we hear everywhere today is such a folly. People who lead lives of breathtaking wickedness and yet declare themselves to be great spiritual masters. Catherine says you begin with detachment from sin, then you practice the virtues, always the virtues in, in, in perfect Dominican tradition, uh, but the virtues and of love. And then only through that can you find a sweet and loving union with God. And Catherine, again, makes it clear that this is a, a difficult road. John of the Cross uh, talks about the, the, the narrow gate. Catherine understood that as well. When she is is writing this, again, it, we've termed it as a the mystical experience. The mystics, and we've talked about them before, we'll talk about them in the future, they're very, very practical people. Yes. Because they're talking about God <laughs> is very practical. If If it doesn't become practical, then you're probably not dealing with something that is authentic. I'm not saying you're not, but chances are there's something uh, not quite right. Right. Well, and this is it, it, Catherine embodies, um, and, and we'll see this again with with Teresa of Avila and others. But but Catherine especially embodies, I think, one of the things that uh, comes as a shock to people who uh, take a course, for example, in spiritual theology, that they assume that it's going to be sitting around contemplating mm -hmm. that uh, somehow there's very little work involved. You simply uh, pray a little and you enter into a mystical union. Catherine would scoff at that. Catherine, I think, would, would ask you very politely, uh, what do you envision this looks like? Because for her, uh, the road to authentic spiritual life begins with detachment from sin. It begins with the separation of ourselves from all of the sin in our lives that stands as an impediment, but more equally, that stands as a way of deluding ourselves in our spiritual progress. That stands as a wall between us and and. What does that mean? It's love, but it's also humility and obedience. One of the hallmarks of those who talk about being spiritual but not religious, uh, who rely solely on themselves uh, for what they think is, is spiritual enlightenment, is pride. It's an unwillingness to surrender themselves uh, to, to God in their lives, to really transform their lives through the perfection of the virtues, to submit themselves to an authority greater than themselves, to act out of love, but to act out of humility and obedience. Catherine is 
a perfect role model for us in understanding why humility, why obedience, why love, and why the virtues are the fundamental building blocks of the spiritual life. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Prayers of St. Catherine of Siena O Supreme and Ineffable God, I have sinned. Therefore, I am unworthy to pray to Thee, but Thou canst make me less unworthy. Punish my sins, O Lord, but turn not away from my misery. From Thee I have received a body, which I offer to Thee, Behold, my body and my blood. Strike, destroy, reduce my bones to dust. But grant me what I ask for the sovereign pontiff, the one bridegroom of thy spouse. May he always know thy will. May he love it and follow it, so that we may not perish. O my God, create a new heart in him, May he ever receive an increase of thy grace. May he never tire of bearing the standard of thy holy cross. And may he bestow the treasures of thy mercy upon unbelievers as he bestows them upon us who enjoy the benefits of the passion and blood of thy most beloved Son, the Lamb without spot. O Lord, eternal God, Have mercy on me, for I have sinned. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Matthew, we've been encouraged folks to visit the letters, to actually engage by reading the dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. 
and there's so much more in even finding different versions of her life, but there are those those times in history where she really breaks in, and that's where most people have come to know her. In that, yes. Essentially, that moment in Avignon. <laughs> yes. There are a lot of uh, pieces of art uh, that you can find in museums all over the world. I, I think of a few that, that come to mind, in fact, that uh, I saw in, in Siena alone, uh, that you can find in Avignon. What was going on? Well, the, there was a great scandal in the church, and that was that really from around the, the early 14th century, from around 1305, the, the popes who were entirely legitimate, there, there's always a misunderstanding sometimes that the Avignon popes were somehow anti-popes, that they were not uh, legitimate successors and vicars of Christ. They were. But they chose, under the influence of the, the kings of France, to live away from Rome. And they chose as their place the city of Avignon in, in France. And it was there that uh, they had the, the papal palace. And it was there that a number of uh, the popes of that era throughout the, the 14th century actually did a great deal of good. But it was nevertheless uh, seen by many in the church as a kind of exile. And it was for that reason that uh, writers such as Petrarch coined the term, the Babylonian captivity of the papacy, a, a reference to the captivity of the Israelites in Babylon after the, the fall of Jerusalem. And pressure has had been building on the popes to, to move back to Rome, but it was a difficult decision to make for, for two reasons. First, there was the, the political side of the French kings. The other, though, was the practical side, that in the decades that the popes had been away from Rome, the, the city, the eternal city, had deteriorated rapidly. Uh, its economic life had suffered from the absence of the popes. Its uh, political life was one of constant turmoil. Brigandage uh, was everywhere in the papal states that surrounded Rome. And uh, the, the popes were able to exercise only to varying degrees of success any sort of administrative control over the life of the city, which, as you can imagine, given the, the tortured history of, of Rome, uh, was a dangerous situation. Catherine went to Avignon in 1376 and implored Pope Gregory XI to go back. She exercised immense influence on him, and she convinced the Pope to go back. And the result was the departure of the popes uh, from Avignon back to Rome where they belonged. Now, what's interesting is that with Gregory's death in 1378, the cardinals, the members of the College of Cardinals, who at that time were mostly French, elected an Italian. And he took the name Urban VI, who unfortunately, uh, upon his election, proved uh, a less than perfect pope. His temperament was severe, and he swiftly alienated most of the French cardinals who voted uh, that they were compelled to elect uh, Urban VI under duress from the Roman mob, and therefore it was an invalid election, which uh, it, it was a perfectly valid election, and in turn elected an anti-pope, Clement VII, who went back to Avignon. What was Catherine's reaction? She gave the rest of her life to trying to 
heal what became known as the Great Western Schism. She tried to exercise as much influence on Pope Urban VI. If you read her letters, uh, she's exhorting him uh, to improve his temperament, uh, to compromise, to deal with this crisis in a way that, that was worthy of the successor of Peter, the vicar of Christ. And on the other side, she wrote innumerable letters trying to bring back uh, those areas of the church that had chosen for political reasons to follow Clement VII, the anti-pope. And her concerns about this proved true, that the schism was not going to be healed for a long time. In fact, it wasn't healed until 1417. It damaged severely the prestige uh, and influence of the popes, and in a way then, helped lay the groundwork for the disasters uh, that followed only a century later with the, the Protestant revolt of the Protestant Reformation. So Catherine was instrumental in bringing the popes back to Rome and then uh, gave, as I said, the rest of her life to trying to heal the breach that followed. She would go to Rome, stay at a Dominican house, essentially, which is not too far from Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, the church in Rome dedicated essentially to the Dominicans, and not too far from the uh, Pantheon, I should say. Here she would live the remainder of her life when in failing health, literally, as they have described it, would almost crawl from that point. What is that, Matthew, maybe about a mile, mile yes, and a half? Yes, about, St. Yeah. Peter's? At that time, to go to pray, to try to see some type of positive conclusion which she wouldn't see in her lifetime. Not unlike many other saints. I'm, I'm thinking of St. Augustine as he's watching uh -huh. the the, uh, the fall of his beloved area. It's it's so compelling, isn't it? It is. Her last days are, are filled with immense sadness. Uh, and when we consider her, when we ponder her writings, you know, her, her prayers are exquisite. Many of them were written in those last months of her life in which she was literally driving herself to, to death, trying to heal the Great Western Schism because she understood the severity, the spiritual severity of what was happening and the long-term damage that this could do to the church. And, and she was somebody who understood that with, with tremendous foresight, more probably than uh, most of her contemporaries. And when we consider that uh, toward the end of February in 1380, not long before she died, uh, she could no longer even walk. Uh, and yet she was continuing right up to her death to exhort, to pray, uh, to plead for uh, an end to the schism. And that she should die under those circumstances uh, while tragic, uh, is in a way the last testament uh, to her life because she, from the age of six, had given herself to Christ and his church. And by 1380, she had given everything she had. There is the story of a dream that Catherine had shortly before her death that in St. Peter's at that time, of course, is not the St. Peter's that we see today, the one that, you know, will pop in our memory. It was the old St. Peter's. Uh -huh. And on the doors of that, that beautiful old building 
was painted the uh, the bark of St. Peter, essentially the, a great ship that represented the bark of St. Peter. And she had a dream that that bark, that ship, would literally crush her. Seems as though that was prophetically true. You know, oftentimes we see her in, in paintings holding a little ship. Yes. Yet, <laughs> that's not what did it. Um, it but it, it, and oftentimes there's such tremendous grace that will pour from those kind of moments, isn't there? There is. There is. And uh, her... Her life was one of endless sacrifice, of self-giving, of self-emptying, and how perfect it was that she who loved the church as much as she did should die laboring uh, for the good of the church that she loved as much as she did. We have to have as at least a very much a footnote of the fact that her death would be one that would be mourned by many, including the the people of Rome who cherished her her relics, essentially her remains. They wanted them to stay there, and yet the people of Siena very much wanted Catherine's some type of presence of Catherine in Siena. And so there are those the the stories of that some may hear about. Portions of bodies being in different locations. I'm like, I'm not trying to sensationalize it, but it's interesting for those who are not familiar with the church's practices that those relics would become so important to areas. Yes, exactly. It, it's why uh, at the very start of our discussion on, on St. Catherine, uh, we made note of the fact that you can visit her sarcophagus beneath the high altar at Santa Maria Sopra Minerva in Rome. Uh, but then you can also go to the, the chapel of uh, Santa Caterina in the Basilica of San Domenico in Siena. Something to go from Sopra Minerva, which is this exquisite Gothic masterpiece, I think the only Gothic church um, mm -hmm. in Rome, right. uh, to the Basilica of San Domenico, and in no way to be unkind, but it, it's a great barn of a place. Mm. Uh, and very, very high, very, yes. How fitting, though, that Catherine should have relics in those two places, in Siena and in Rome. And it is, I think, a testament to her, her place in history, uh, that she should have influenced both of those places uh, to the degree that, they, that she did, that she is given such high honor in both of those places. We've spent uh, such wonderful time talking about the saint, and it's, we've alluded to before, there's so much more with her, but in concluding our conversations on this time, any final thoughts, Matt? Yes, for those who want to get to know her better, start with the dialogues. Mm -hmm. But let's also remember that she was a mystic. She was someone who gave her life in service. She was a reformer of the church who always remained faithful to the church. And she was a counselor a wise counselor who always put the church and Christ at the center of her advice. Those four aspects of her life, I think, uh, make her a perfect role model for all of us uh, as we try to follow in her footsteps uh, to holiness and to perfection. St. Catherine of Siena. Pray for us. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. It's a privilege to be with you, Chris. 
You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.